Thank you for being here today to worship with us. Hopefully, I know, know there might have been one or two people that showed up for church an hour early this morning. Uh, so hopefully, uh, hopefully you guys are feeling okay, losing an hour of sleep last night, or maybe some of you were responsible enough to go to bed an hour early. I, I was not responsible enough to go to bed an hour early. But in any case, it's great to be here with you today. My wife, Anne, is a fun person to buy gifts for. Those of you that know Anne can imagine why that would be the case. She responds with a lot of enthusiasm and excitement. Now, I am not necessarily a great gift giver, but over the years, I've had some pretty big successes, or at least medium successes. When you hear the gifts, I get you'll be like, that doesn't sound all that successful, but she likes it, and that's what's important. Um, normally, most frequently, I'll buy her some sort of technology. Um, I got her like an Amazon Kindle a year or so ago. She really likes that. I got her an Amazon smart speaker a couple of years ago. And so we like to yell at that a lot. Do you guys yell at your smart speaker? Ours is like our fifth disobedient child that we scream at. Um, but she still likes it for some reason. I'm unclear why. Uh, one of the gifts that I got Anne a few years back was an Ancestry.com DNA kit. And, and I really felt like I was going out on a limb with this one because I wasn't sure if she would think the information produced by the test would be interesting, irrelevant, or just kind of creepy. Um, but when I, when I gave it to her, uh, the little, you know, like whatever gift certificate thing, she was really excited about it. She's like, oh, this is super cool. And so a week or two later, she took her little saliva sample and sent it off for analysis. And we waited, we waited to see who Anne was. <laughs> Now, there was a thought that there might be some like Cherokee blood running through her veins. That would be cool. We're, we're from down south, so there's actually a decent amount of that down south. Uh, or maybe some other like really cool place, like maybe some DNA from Africa or the Middle East or some exotic place. But when the test came back, it was a little bit disappointing. Uh, and found out that she has a mostly British background with a little bit of Nordic worked in there. So pretty much just exactly what you would expect. According to the test, Anne is average. <laughs> it's true, it's true. A average, uh, yeah, I may get in trouble for this later, we'll see. Uh, average has a negative connotation for many. Nobody aspires to be an average person. We want our lives to matter in a unique way. Every person wants to differentiate themselves. An average person will live an average life that lacks meaning and purpose. Or at least that's the concern. We might settle for average, but nobody aspires to it. As we continue to go through the book of Exodus, we continue to learn more about Moses and to a slightly lesser extent about Aaron, the most important people in the narrative. Today's text reminds us these brothers are average guys, or even below average in the world's eyes. 
What makes them exceptional is nothing inherent to themselves. The reason we are still talking about Moses and Aaron 3,500 years later is how God used them. So if you would please turn with me to Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, we will read through verse 30. Those verses will be projected on the screen behind me and can be found on your pew Bible on page 45. But before we start reading these verses, I have a challenge for you. This is a special challenge for today. Try to pay attention to this whole passage. When I start reading... You will see why I give you this challenge. Uh, It's not going to be easy. Hear the word of the Lord. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, these are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jenuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shual. The son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei. By their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mahli, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites. Whoops, I skipped. Wow, that paper's really sticking. There we go. According to their generations, Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nephag, and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Amminadab, and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Elazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Esir, Elkanah, and Abisaph. These are the clans of the Korhites. Elazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Pudiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites by their clans. These are Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Whew. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This is just an extra bonus for the sermon. If you're ever reading scripture and you come across a Bible name that you don't know how to pronounce, just read it confidently and quickly and no one will notice. Because everybody's like, is that how that's pronounced? Not sure. Not sure if that's how that's pronounced. I could probably work it out if you gave me enough time, but not on the fly, no. 
Uh, all right. These verses describe the family tree of Moses and Aaron. We don't normally read the genealogies in the Bible. That is not only because it is hard to read all those names without making mistakes. It is also because those genealogies, they just feel irrelevant to us. The parts of the Bible that we avoid the most are the parts where there are long lists of names, like what we just read, of who begat who. If you ask a Christian to be honest about what part of the Bible they struggle the most to read, they will probably say the laws of Exodus and Leviticus. And I think that's because we just completely dismiss the genealogies. When it, when it comes to laws, we'll still try, we'll kind of try to wrestle with them a little bit. These reports on families and how they're related to each other, we just, we just skip right over them. For the modern reader, genealogies are white noise. They are background static that can simply be ignored. I challenged all of you to pay attention as I read today's passage, and doing so was probably a challenge. Knowing a family tree that is thousands of years old, doesn't feel relevant. For ancient readers, a person's family tree mattered immensely. Who your parents were was a big deal. It even mattered who your grandparents were and who your great-grandparents were. In antiquity, they had a strong belief that Curses and blessings were like a gene that was communicated down through generations. They didn't think of people as individuals like we do. They thought of people as extensions of their larger family unit, of their, of their tribes as well. Cultures always have some sort of quick way to categorize the value a particular person has. Think about when you meet someone for the first time, you are seeking information on who they are. We ask questions and look for clues that inform us of the value others have relative to ourselves. One way we do this in a polite way is by asking people what they do for work. We don't want to ask how much money they have because that would be rude. No, instead, we take that information on the type of job they have, what town they live in, the type of car they drive, the way they dress, or where they go on vacation. And we use all of those things, and we put them all together, and we assign a value. Humans are social creatures. Every person wants to know where they stand in the social hierarchy. This is true of all people in every time and in every place. The way value is established varies from culture to culture. The desire to be considered valuable doesn't vary. In the ancient world, your family of origin 
gave you status similar to how wealth or education operates in our world. What jumps out about Moses and Aaron's family tree when you know the context a bit more is how unexceptional it is. The lineage being described here begins with Israel, also known as Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, and that's not actually a bad heritage to have. Although those who know the story of Jacob in Genesis might remember that Jacob is a bit of a scoundrel. Still, your family tracing its ancestry back to Jacob is a good thing. God renews the promises he made to Abraham and Isaac with Jacob. He was an inheritor of the covenant as opposed to his twin brother Esau, who was not, or his half-uncle Ishmael, who was also not. Moses and Aaron's forefather, among Jacob's sons, is Levi, the third son of Jacob. You know what was special about third sons at this time, what really set third sons apart? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. You had the oldest son, he was really important. You have the second son. He was kind of a spare in case something happened with the older son. Hopefully you didn't need two spares, right? How many spares do you have in your car? You only have one spare tire. You don't need that many spare sons. When, Jake, when Jacob lay dying, he said a final blessing and curse to each of his sons. A good amount of what he said to them was positive, mostly, you know, he said good things. To his son Simeon and to Levi, the person Moses and Aaron are connected back to in this genealogy, Jacob said, listen to this, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel, O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. That's not really the thing you want your dad saying to you on his deathbed. In a culture where your family's story going back generations determines how you are perceived, this is not what you want. Being associated with this sort of generational curse was not ideal. Within the nation of Israel, Moses and Aaron's background would not have made them stand out in a positive way. And Israel is a nation of slaves. The whole nation is considered inferior. What are people that don't matter within an inferior group called? They're not called anything. They're simply ignored. More than being good or bad, Moses and Aaron's family background means they are inconsequential. They are irrelevant. 
their lives are not supposed to mean anything in the larger story that is unfolding in the world. They are pawns on the chessboard of life. Who we are in the world does not determine what we can be in God's kingdom. God doesn't care who anyone is according to the world. In fact, God prefers to use people that the world has dismissed as not having value. Throughout the Bible, God uses average Joes and average Jills. David was the youngest brother of many when Samuel came and asked David's father, Jesse, to show him his sons. He didn't even think about David. When your father forgets about you, that indicates you are pretty inconsequential. God's use of average or even below average people happens again and again in Scripture. In the verses we read today, the Bible said, These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. These are average guys. These average guys are going to lead God's chosen people. They will stand before Pharaoh. God doesn't value people that are thought of as extraordinary by the world more highly than he values those that are considered ordinary. About a decade ago, my, bro my brother-in-law told me the story of a group of Christians that went to great lengths to get some sort of tape with an evangelistic message on it into the hands of the rapper Eminem at the MTV Video Music Awards. They had some crazy plan. This was back when Eminem was at the height of his fame. I think they thought it would be really powerful if Eminem became a Christian. His celebrity could be used to further God's kingdom in a huge way. Now, the reason I heard this story is that the group was really excited that they had succeeded in getting the tape they had made into the hands of Eminem. If the goal were simply to evangelize a lost soul, that would be a worthy goal. But thinking Eminem's celebrity makes him more valuable to God's kingdom is misguided. I wonder if the group trying to figure out how to get a tape in the hands of a famous rapper who probably threw it away at the first garbage can he passed would have been better off investing their energy in some unknown person. We are obsessed with celebrity and worldly status. God 
is not. Being celebrated by the world is often a barrier to being used by God. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those the world worships. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger for righteousness, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. Those Jesus describes are blessed through their association with God's kingdom. Human glory fades whatever it is constructed upon. God's glory stands forever. God's kingdom is about his glory. He doesn't want anyone to be confused about what the source of that glory is. God doesn't need whatever pitiful glory a person has been able to accrue to themselves in this world. He is the self-sustaining source of his own glory. It is a characteristic that is essential to him. He has an infinite amount of glory to spare. God does share his glory. He glorifies believers who are a part of his kingdom. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. I actually prefer what Philippians 3, 20 and 21 has to say even more. There Paul writes, For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly await for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Jesus generously imparts his glory to us. We don't earn this glory. It is an outworking of grace in the same way our being saved and our being made holy is. While we await the future realization of the full glory God has given us through Christ and the Holy Spirit, we can experience an intermediate glory in this world. Moses and Aaron's genealogy from today's text clarifies who they are. It is also important that their whole family, all the descendants of Levi, will be set aside as priests of Israel. This is the first time in Exodus that the various descendants of Levi are named. The different families that come out of Levi go on to play priestly roles. Aaron and his descendants are anointed as high priests in Exodus 40. In Numbers 18.2, Aaron is told, Bring your fellow Levites from your ancestral tribe to join 
you and assist you when you and your sons minister before the tent of the covenant law. Throughout the remainder of the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood is special. These are the people that are working on God's behalf. They are uniquely set aside for service by God. Being in a priestly role puts the individual in close contact with God's glory. This work was considered special and honorable. Priests were supposed to be treated with respect. It was an important job. One interesting thing to note in all this is how God flips the curse that Jacob cast on Levi into a blessing. Jacob said about Levi's descendants, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. This is what ends up happening to the Levites. They do not gain an inheritance of land when Israel enters the promised land. They are scattered among the other tribes. Nonetheless, even in being scattered and landless, God blesses them with the special role of priests. When Jesus Christ came, the priesthood changed. The glory that was reserved for a few physical descendants of one family was changed and expanded. You no longer need to be a Levite to be a priest. By virtue of being a Christian, a person becomes a part of the priesthood of all believers. Your genetic family tree doesn't matter. Neither does your wealth or any other basis for worldly status. What matters is that you are a child of God. This was one of the most important biblical themes that, has been, that had been forgotten leading up to the Reformation. During the Reformation, it was rediscovered with relish. A priest no longer needed, was no longer needed as an intermediary between God and man. Jesus is the great high priest for all. He is the pathway through which we have access to God. Who can be a priest changes with Jesus. What it means to be a priest changes as well. In the Old Testament, the priests went to serve God in the tabernacle and later in the temple. The high priests were the only ones that could be exposed to God's glory in the Holy of Holies. Priests served in the place where God's presence was manifest. That's why they were considered special. In the New Testament and beyond, all Christians are priests. Our physical bodies are also the place God's presence is manifest through the Holy Spirit. Wherever Christians are is where God is. His glory inhabits us as we go out into the world. Christians are priests ministering on God's behalf in the world. 
Moses and Aaron were average guys. Maybe even below average. There was nothing inherent to them that made them stick out. What was exceptional about them is how God used them. Their family became a family of priests used by God because of God's glory. They experienced a glory of their own in this world connected to the role that God had given them. From the world's viewpoint, most of us are average people. Some of us may be even a little below average. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. God chose us to be priests, acting on his behalf in this world. He did so because, not because we were already exceptional, but because he wants us to be exceptional. Through this priestly role, we participate in his glory in an intermediate way until that final day when we will be glorified completely by our Savior and Lord. God uses average people like you and I in exceptional ways to accomplish his purposes for us and through us. We are glorified by God through our association with what he is doing in us and in the world. Let's pray. Dear Lord, each of us has a unique calling. Each of us has been called to participate in your glory in some way, Lord. I pray that we would not get confused, that we would not think that our personal glory is of any need to you. I also pray that we would recognize that we have an opportunity to present, to participate in your glory as, as priests living in this world, operating on your behalf, communicating your glory in some small way. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.